Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and this is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 169. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? Seth Mosley here on the Made It in Music podcast. And today we've got Michael Elsner. This is going to be all about music for film and TV, for sync licensing, as we call it in the business. And I am going to intro him here in just a second and we'll bring him on the show. But first, a quick announcement. Recently, we've been pumping out some great content on our Full Circle Music Instagram account. We have an account showing all of FCM's music publishing updates, and we have an account for FCM as a whole. We'd love it if you came and hung out with us on those pages where we share tips, tricks, behind the scenes, exciting news, and so much more that we would love for you to be a part of. So head over to Instagram and follow at official FC Music and at official FCM Publishing, as in Full Circle Music Publishing. We'd love to have you. Today, our guest on the show is Michael Elsner. Michael's worn many hats in the music industry as a guitarist, songwriter, producer, and even a personal coach. And his main focus is sync licensing. As a guitarist, Michael's played on sessions for a multitude of television, album, and film projects. And his solo album, Stained Voodoo, took home the award for Instrumental Album of the Year at the LA Music Awards. As a songwriter and composer, his songs have been placed in over 180 individual television series, counting for over 800 individual episodes. Some of these include American Idol, The Voice, Amish Mafia, Cold Case, Extra, The Sing-Off, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, Hannah Montana, and High School Musical 2. Tracks he has written have also been used in international commercials for Audi, Mazda, Skechers, and Verizon, as well as trailers for Cinderella, Disney, Ocean's 8, Narcos, Sneaky Pete, and Better Call Saul. He also wrote the theme song for the Saturday morning TV show, The Young Icons, which is now in its ninth season. His ebook, Master Music Marketing, this is the four step plan to licensing success we're going to talk about today. Um, but I am so excited to dive into the world of sync licensing and learn with Michael today. Michael, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Seth. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, how did you get started working in the music industry? Uh, I moved to Nashville in 1998. <laughs> that's how it started. Um, I mean, literally, that's how it started. I, I, I moved here uh, to Nashville in November. I pulled into town on November 7th, which was a Saturday, uh, 1998. And uh, that next week, I just started going out and meeting people and um, met some people. And, and um, you know, Within, uh, I'd say within, you know, two or three weeks, I was, you know, working on my first batch of records. So it happened really quick, but it really just started by making the decision to, uh, you know, place myself, uh, you know, in, as I like to think of it, in the path of opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, was film and TV licensing your, your goal at the time? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I didn't even know. Uh, I didn't even start doing that until 2003. Uh, it wasn't until I left Nashville. I left Nashville in 2003 and went to Los Angeles. I got to LA uh, middle of June. I actually pulled into town. I actually know the dates of, of all these things. I pulled into town on Friday, June 13th, 2003 into Los Angeles. And, um, 
And within, uh, I think within like six, six weeks or so, six to eight weeks, I was already playing guitar on a, on a TV show. I was playing guitar on the young and the restless. Um, and so I landed that gig. And, um, um, so it was through that, that I started, you know, first off learning the composing world. Cause I came from record world previously, spent four and a half years in the CCM industry in Nashville and got out of that and went out to LA and the start in, you know, landed in the, in the film world. And, um, I started learning how these guys were, you know, composing to picture and, Cause I was sitting with them all day long as they were, you know, scoring their parts and I was playing guitar on them. And then, um, and then through that, I started meeting these people called music supervisors. I already had a lot of music that I'd written, uh, in the previous, you know, really about five years or so that I'd, you know, written and produced. And I was an early adopter to pro tools. I was one of those first guys out of really a lot of people who had my own, you know, uh, rig at home and I was producing a lot of stuff anyway. So, uh, so I had, you know, real high quality tracks and songs and, um, as far as the production quality goes and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I started meeting music supervisors through the TV shows and films I started playing sessions on. And then, uh, you know, as I started learning what they did, I just asked them if I could give them some tracks. I gave one music supervisor a CD and I think within two weeks I had my first featured, you know, track on a show called Cold Case, which was a popular show on CBS back then. And that was really what started it for me um, down the licensing route. It was literally two weeks after I handed her a CD. I had my first placement. So, so, uh, and then of course, you know, learning the, the ropes and, and the payment structure, and it was very appealing. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought, wow, this is this is actually really quite easy. Um, and now I have an outlet for my songs. I'd been getting turned down by publishers for years. Um, because my songs were not really in that little niche of what, you know, um, I think, you know, publishers needed to, you know, put on a record. And, uh, and so writing music for TV was great because it has been great because stylistically I'm not in any type of box. Oops. And, um, let me close my email. I'm sorry about that. No so worries. Little bings in there. And, uh, real life. yeah, no. Right. And, um, I thought I had done that, but, uh, but yeah, it just, it just allowed me uh, to really explore so many different styles of music. And uh, that was one of the things that, that I really loved initially when I first got to Los Angeles and I started doing this was the, the uh, openness to diversity as far as stylistically, right? Uh, and that's what I just loved about it. And, and, and I had no idea this world existed, but I was so thankful um, that I, that I found it and fell into it because uh, um, I was able to write so many different styles of music over the years. And that's what I really wanted to do. I didn't want to just write one style of music over and over and over. Uh, and I think that was one of the reasons why I was having a hard time getting a publishing deal was because I, I was always bringing these songs that were like really all over the map. You know, one would be an R and B song and the very next thing's a, you know, a pop song and, uh, you know, uh, but, but when I was able to present those to supervisors, they had all these opportunities for them. You know, that was wonderful for me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting to hear. And I, I do want to back up and ask, so you started playing guitar on the show Young and the Restless. What does that even mean? Are you playing like in a, like a live band or were you playing guitar to the, the, yeah. you know, the uh, screen? I was, yeah, yeah. So, so what was happening was uh, the composer of that show um, hired me. Uh, I went up to his place up in Malibu a couple t- times a week. And, uh, and that's a daytime soap opera. So it's like, it's a lot of, you know, it's like every day there's a new episode 
And there's a lot of music that he wrote. And, um, and so I would go up to his place and I would sit there and, and he would get all the, you know, scenes and, and he had his, you know, engineer and, and, um, it was really quite a fantastic setup and, and his engineer would call it up and he'd watch the scene and he'd just start putting something together and his engineer would start, you know, the mixing process right then and there. And he'd just kind of create like a groove and maybe like a, a basic, you know, overview chord progression or whatever for it. And be like, okay, so I'm thinking like, this is like definitely like a funk thing. So give me like something funk and I'm playing in D. All right. So, you know, and, and I think one of the reasons why um, I, 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 Probably, I hate to say it, I don't want to sound arrogant at all, but I think one of the reasons why I, I succeeded in that world um, was because, um, actually, I, I really have to say a lot of it came from my time in Nashville because um, working in the in, part of the industry that I'd worked in, uh, the budgets were not that big. And so, you know, uh, and I had come from New York. Um, I grew up in Woodstock and I started in studios when I was a teenager. And so, you know, when you're working on mainstream records, there's bigger budgets and you can spend time on it. But when I was working in, at least in the 2000s, early, late 90s, early 2000s in the CCM industry, the budgets were very small. And so, you know, we were doing like, <laughs> I mean, I remember one session where we did like 11 songs fully tracked in a day. And, you know, uh, so you have to come up with your parts pretty quick. And, uh, and so, kind of getting that behind me allowed me to show up and, and work with these composers where it was literally, you know, we're doing 13 or 14 cues in a day, just writing it, playing the parts and mixing it. And so being able to put those parts together and just, you know, think of parts really quickly and then nail them, um, dial in tones really quickly and, you know, play the parts well and get it locked in, you know, in two or three takes. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to succeed and, and, and start really making my way um, throughout the composer world out there. Uh, but as far as what it meant was it meant literally just showing up, the composer would write out some basic parts and you would just improvise over them and then done, move on to the next cue or the next scene. He'd put together some ideas. You, you figure out little parts. Oh, maybe I'll go to play an acoustic guitar on this thing really quick. And you go in and you do that while he's laying out a, you know, a base, you know, baseline or something like that. And, and, uh, and that's what it was. It was literally just, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, but full on recording sessions. That's so awesome. So tell me a little bit about, you know, for any listeners who may be not aware, um, no listener left behind, what is sync licensing and how does it work? Well, sync licensing, uh, is it's, uh, synchronization licensing is really what the term is. Uh, so, Anytime you watch TV, and which, you know, as, as much as you're watching the, the picture, the moving picture on screen, you're also, the majority of the time, there's also music of some form underneath the scene, right? So every time you hear a song or a piece of music that's underneath the video that you're watching, a sync license had to take place, a synchronization license had to take place. And what that does is that is the permit, that's, that's granting the production company from the copyright holder. The copyright holder is granting the production company the right to synchronize that piece of music and that master recording to video. So, uh, you know, it, it's not uncommon for a TV show to have, you know, anywhere between like 80 and 100, 120 pieces of music uh, in an episode. So for songwriters and, and composers and just musicians who are writing and recording music, there's an unbelievable amount of opportunity. Uh, especially as you think of how the TV world has exploded really in the last, you know, 10, 10, 15 years. 
Uh, last year, there were over 500 TV shows that were in production. So uh, when you think of that number, and then you start factoring in the amount of episodes and then the amount of uh, you know, pieces of music per episode, there's just an abundance of opportunity. And that's not even taking into account all the films, the commercials, uh, corporate promos, video game and film trailers. And one thing that I do a lot uh, is I do a lot of film trailers now. Um, and uh, so there's just a plethora of opportunity. But the process of licensing music is completely different than the standard music um, pursuit that most people have been on, most musicians have been on. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of musicians don't succeed when it comes to licensing their music. They, they approach licensing music just like they pr- approach getting their music out to like a radio station or a, uh, an agent or a manager or someone that, you know, they just send it out their music. And, and that's not the way that the people who work in the licensing world uh, w- actually uh, need to absorb your music. And the very first thing that I always tell people or musicians uh, when they, when they're interested in, in licensing their music is you have to understand one key element here is that when you're licensing your music, you're not working in the music industry anymore. So everything that you've learned about the music industry path, you got to forget it because it doesn't apply. You're working in the TV industry. You're working in the film industry. You're working in the commercial industry, which is really the ads and the promo industry. And the people who are absorbing and utilizing your music need music need that music delivered to them in an entirely different way uh, with an entirely uh, different set of information. And that information is called metadata uh, because they utilize it in a completely different way. You're helping them tell a story that's that's already been filmed and it's already been told, it's already been written. But you also have to keep in mind that once you deliver your music, there are three or four other people along the way beyond that who are going to take that music and, and adjust it and fit it in and edit it and, and mix it to the scene and all that kind of stuff. So you, you have to supply it to them in a way that allows them to find the music. It, so they have to be able to search through a lot of different you know, tracks, hundreds of thousands of tracks to find the right piece of music. Uh, you have to make it easily licensable. And not, then on top of that, you have to be able to del- have in your deliveries uh, various uh, stems and alternate mixes and whatnot so that the music editor and the re-recording mixer can really manipulate that track the way that they need it to manipulate it so that it fits perfectly under all the dialogue and all the other sound design that's in the scene. The process of writing the song is no different. The process of recording the song is no different. It just, the, the, the difference starts from the time that you've burnt your final mix and you start getting it out. So the process of licensing is quite a bit different than what a lot of musicians are already familiar with when it comes to finishing their CD and then sending it out to people. So what made you decide to specialize in sync versus writing for artists? Um, well, I've written for artists. Um, but the thing that I love about writing for sync is there's no politics involved. Uh, I, I worked in the music industry for a long time, and, and there's always politics involved, uh, which is fine. That's how it is. They're creating a product, you know. So you're creating a product for artist A, and the music has to, you know, really fit within this box that artist A is within. Um, but the thing that I really liked about it, a number of reasons. Number one, uh, the speed of it. Uh, that was one thing. I liked the diversity of it stylistically. What I could write. I mean, I could write one day a heavy metal track. And not even, not even one day, actually, I'll tell you a story. There was a time where I was writing for American Idol, a show called The Sing-Off, and a show called Sarah Palin's Alaska, all at the same time. It was like a three-month period. So every day I was writing, like in the morning, I forgot my schedule now, but in the morning, like I was writing like the, the tension beds for American Idol seasons, I think 11 and 12. Um, then around noontime, you know, one, two in the afternoon, I do all these acapella tracks for a show called The Sing-Off, which was a 
show on NBC. Um, it was like just like American Idol, but it had these acapella groups that were competing against each other. And I did three seasons of that. And then in the evening, I would pull out my mandolin and, and, and my banjo and my acoustic guitar, and I would write what, what I called cinematic bluegrass, um, which was uh, very you know cinematic bluegrass. I don't know other, any other way to explain it other than that for a show called Sarah Palin's Alaska. And then that, that same style of music led to writing a lot of stuff for a show called Amish Mafia. Did a lot of seasons of that show. Uh, and so it's a very unique style. Um, but all that being said, in that, in that one day, I would go from writing these like tension, these orchestral tension, you know, tension-based, you know, music beds to doing like happy, fun, upbeat acapella tracks not always happy and upbeat, but sometimes, you know, whatever, various styles of acapella. And then in, in the evening doing all these cool, you know, like, um, you know, stuff with guitars, you know, that, that I really enjoyed. So in one day I could cover such a wide range of, of music stylistically. I really enjoyed that. Um, and, uh, and I love the fact that I was able to work on a lot of different TV shows, a lot of different programs. And, you know, in the music industry, I think people's favorite word in the music industry is no. Uh, and, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, who knows, maybe my music wasn't good enough. I don't know, but I felt like I was always hearing no. And there was always this comp comparison, competition, whatever it was. Um, and a lot of political stuff, but, but when I, when I focused in the, in the TV industry, it was, it was amazing. The difference, you know, people would welcome me with open arms, you know, I'd send in stuff. Oh, this is fantastic. And then like two weeks later, it's on a TV show. I loved that. I loved the fact that I could write 100 tracks and 90 of them would end up on TV. I didn't necessarily like the idea of writing 100 songs and getting one song hopefully cut by an artist and then hoping that that song would hopefully become a single so that I could earn a little bit more money. I liked the fact that every track that I was writing for the most part was ending up somewhere generating cash and throughout the day I could write whatever I wanted you know, at any time and there would always be a home for it. I loved that. I yeah. still do. Well, and, and what it sounds like is you you, you found your lane there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's not going to be, not everybody are, are going to be able to do what you do, which is to do that wide variety of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're definitely right. I definitely come from, I mean, my background is I always played in bands, you know, and, and we had that one, you know, when we would work on a record, have one, one, one focus. But, you know, whenever I wasn't doing the band stuff, I was always recording just other stuff. I'd buy a new piece of gear and I'd start playing with it. And instead of, you know, doinking with it for a long time, I'd be like, Oh, this is really cool. Let me, let me call up a drum groove and let me start laying something down and see what I can put around this. And, um, you know, and as you start doing that, you get a lot of tracks that you're just like, well, what do I do with these? You know? And I had a lot of that when I moved to Los Angeles and just pieces of music that I would, that I'd recorded. And I don't know what to do with them. It's not going to end up on like a Justin Timberlake record, you know? Uh, but then, uh, Again, in the licensing world, there's just all those opportunities opened up like, wow, this this song would be or this piece of music, this little clip, whatever this, you know, minute and a half track would fit great in a commercial. And boom, there you go. You know, there's an opportunity to get in, in, in a commercial or it would be great for a video game. And there you have it. There's an opportunity to have it in a video game. So for me, it was it really opened up a lot of opportunities. Uh, and I just liked experimenting with different sounds and with different styles and um so it was a perfect fit for me, for sure. Yeah, I love it. So tell us about master music licensing. Since you've uh, had so much success in the music licensing world, you are now turning around and teaching it to others. Can you tell us about master music licensing? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it really starts a long time ago, uh, probably, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I was still living in Los Angeles, I was, I was getting asked to speak at these different music conferences. So, um, you know, I, I would just speak on licensing. Um, uh, and, uh, and there was always a, you know, a, a really, you know, big response to it. Um, I have to keep in mind that the majority of my career, this is what I've done, you know, and, and so I've, I've tweaked it along the way and I've really figured out what works and have, have manipulated the process as, as times have changed. And of course, as, as, uh, various technology has allowed, you know, delivering audio files to be a lot easier than putting it on a CD and sending it out in the, in a, in a you know, via the post office. Um, so when I decided that I didn't want to live in California anymore, I moved back to Nashville. Uh, I still work. I mean, all my work is out of Los Angeles, but I just didn't want to live there anymore. And one of the nice things about licensing is, you know, you can live anywhere. So I already had a lot of friends here because I'd lived here for four and a half years. And, and, um, and so I moved back to Nashville. And when I came back, I started, um, some people, you know, knew, who knew of me already um, asked me to speak at a bunch of different conferences and stuff like that here. So I did. And, uh, and then before you know it, I started getting emails from a lot of artists and even publishers downtown and whatnot who just wanted to learn about licensing and, and, and how to do this more. So I'd meet with them. And, and, um, and it, but it got to a point to where it was, it was becoming too much. You know, like, I mean, literally every day someone wanted to get together for coffee. And, uh, and, uh, and that was really, you know, eating into a lot of my time. So I put together this little ebook. And someone, you know, would email me and I, I just send them the email, the ebook back and say, this is the process. Just, you know, if you have any questions, let me know later. Really, I did it to save my time. Uh, and then uh, I was doing a session for an artist who uh, was already in the online community. And, uh, and as I was talking to him about this, he said, hey, you should, you should put together a course. I didn't know anything about, you know, the online world. So about three years ago, right around this time, he was here in my studio and and um, telling me about this. And, and I thought, okay, yeah, that's, that sounds, it sounds like that's what people need. So uh, I put the book out on a larger scale. I learned how to put it out on, online with his help. And, and a lot of people started diving into the book and then asking for more. And so I realized, yeah, a lot of people want more information. So I put together the Master Music Licensing course, which I only open up a couple of times throughout the year. And, uh, and really that course is 100% of my process. It's every little aspect of it from the moment you finish your mix. Uh, I have a four-step process, which we can talk about, but it goes through all four steps of the process. Uh, and then the thing is, is, okay, once you get the license, you know, obviously it leads you to the license. Uh, now what? Well, you're going to get offered contracts. And so I have a whole section where we learn how to you know, dive into the contracts. Because another thing that I've learned is you know, a, a lot of musicians just send their stuff out and they don't understand the basics of, of publishing and really contracts and how to protect themselves contractually uh, and, and retain ownership over their intellectual property and control over it. So we literally go even past the licensing to contracts so that they understand, um, you know, uh, every aspect of it so that they can really set themselves up. And it's, it's, it's been, honestly, I've done a lot of cool things. I've been able to play on a lot of TV shows, I've been able to tour the world and, and this and that, but this is the coolest thing uh, and it's been the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done in, in my music career because, you know, even during COVID, when COVID hit and a lot of musicians lost their gigs and, and stuff like that, I was getting emails from people going like, Michael, thank God, you know, for your course. You know, I just, just got $30,000 for this commercial, you know, and now my family, and I don't have to work, you know, and stuff like that, you know, don't have to worry, you know, because they lost their job. And, and getting emails like that from people who've gone through the program, uh, especially, you know, during this time when so many things shut down, um, 
man, that, that's just been the coolest thing. And, uh, and, and I absolutely love it. So that's, that's kind of the grand overview of, uh, of, of the program. But the, the ebook is literally, I dissect all four steps of my four-step process. This is what step one is, and this is why it's important. This goes back to what I said earlier about how the licensing process is different than what most musicians are used to uh, in the regular music industry process. The regular music industry process is really two steps. It's you write your song, you know, and you finish the recording. So that's like step one, a lot of stuff involved in that. But once you finish your recording, then you package it up and you send it out. So it's really a two-step process. In licensing, it's a four-step process. You know, you, you finish your song, that's step one, but then we have to create the valuable content. This is all the content from that song that su- supports our music editors, the music supervisors, and the re-recording mixers. And we have to keep all three of those people in mind. We can't just forget about music editors and re-recording mixers. I think it's a mistake that a lot of musicians make. They focus so much on music supervisors. The music supervisor's job is, is just to secure the license, Okay. It's the music editor who's going to really manipulate the track, and then it's the re-recording mixer who's going to who's going to mix that song in with everything else. So you have to be able to supply these individuals with um, the 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 files that they need to really um, be able to utilize your track. So that's step two of my process, and step three is the metadata. The metadata is all the information that gets attached to the song uh, that allows music editors, music supervisors to search through tracks, you know, hundreds of thousands of tracks and find your song. Um, it's the descriptive terms that you use to describe that music because the people who are ultimately searching for music, who are ultimately determining what music's going to be used are the director and the producer and oftentimes the writer because when they were writing this scene or they were filming the scene, they already had an idea of the kind of music they wanted. So they're going to use specific terms right? And, and then they're going to pass this on during their meetings with the music supervisor. This is what we're looking for this for, for this scene musically. Now it's the music supervisor's job to go find it. But the metadata is essential because that's how we allow music supervisors and music editors to find music related to what the director and the producer and the, and the writer were looking for or originally had in mind when they wrote and filmed that scene. So that's step three. And then, of course, step four is actually how do we get our music out? How do we deliver it? How do we contact? How do we find the supervisors who are looking for music that we have? Uh, the worst thing you can do is a shotgun approach. Just you know, blast your music out and hope that someone knows what to do with it. That's a terrible approach. That's what a lot of musicians do. And then they wonder why they never got a song license. Well, that's not the way that that industry works. Again, it's a different process. Uh, and then, of course, once you've finished, once you've secured the license, then really understanding contracts is essential. So the ebook is, I, I cover all those parts of the process and what they are, why they're important. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, in case people are interested, they can get all that at mastermusiclicensing.com. And we'll make sure that that is linked in the show notes. That's again, mastermusiclicensing.com. Um, few more questions before we jump into our lightning round. What would you say some of the biggest challenges are that people face when they're trying to get their music synced? Uh, Understanding the process. Uh, You know, the process of writing music is, there's no difference. You know, I I, I hear some people be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing music for sync. What does that mean? You know, like if you're, if I'm writing music for sync, I'm not right. I'm just writing music. I'm approaching my process the same way I, I would approach it if I had an artist sitting in my studio with me and we were writing for their record. Writing music is writing music. Writing a good song is writing a good song. And recording quality audio and, and a quality recording, uh, the process is the same. 
Um, that's why the process really starts once you finish the mix. All right. So the creation process is no different, regardless of what your outlet is. Now, this is where musicians get caught up is like kind of like what I just said. A lot of musicians will just, you know, OK, I just finished my songs. Now I'm going to I got this list of all these music supervisors. Now I'm going to blast it out to them. All right. So a music supervisor is going to get your song and you haven't added the metadata. So they're not going to be able to search it. You know, they're not going to be able to find it. So that that doesn't work in your favor. If they are able to find your track and they do want to license it, ha have you added enough metadata that they know who to contact and who the publisher are? And is this one stop? The whole process, there's lots of this process. But then on top of it, okay, let's say that they secured the license. Now they're going to pass it off again to the next person in line. Earlier, earlier I said there's a bunch of people you know, beyond you now who are going to manipulate that track. So now it's going to go to a music editor. Okay, well, if the music editor needs to sit this in a scene and might need to take out the vocal for a certain line or two because um, because the characters, the, the actors are, are talking and they need to get the music out. The, I'm sorry, they need to get the lyrics out while they're talking. But the second they're done talking, they want to, you know, add in the lyrics again, add in the vocals. Are you giving the music editor the 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 audio files that they need to be able to do that and then beyond that when you send when he sends that on to the re-recording mixer the re-recording mixer's job is to take all the dialogue all the sound effects all the music everything and mix it to a you know uh, the, to complete the show uh does that person have everything they need here's the reason why um because in music we mix music in stereo right two speakers left and right but when you're watching a TV show or a film, what is it mixed in? It's mixed in 5.1 or 7.1, right? So your re-recording mixer, they're going to want stems that allow them to manipulate your audio, your song within the surround field. So again, this kind of comes back to the biggest mistake that the people make is not the writing process. It's not even the recording process. I think musicians have that down. It's the delivery process and understanding that this is a completely different industry and the requirements to send in your music uh, and, and uh, you know, to, to really set yourself up for opportunity are completely different. So it's really just understanding that process. So is there a way that you yourself, um, you know, organize all this or, or, you know, advise your students to organize this? I, I know there's a lot of, you know, various apps out there, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, it seems like are using disco nowadays in the. Yeah. yeah disco, disco is an online platform. Uh, I mean, they're, they're online platforms, but, um, but that's, that's like the final step of the process. That's, I mean, that, that's just, you're, that's just delivering it. Disco is really, uh, and, and same thing with like, like, um, source audio. That's another one. Um, that's actually a, probably even more popular one than disco. Uh, but, um, but as far as that goes, that's really, that's really where the, the tracks are housed. Right. So you have to, so you finish your song here. And if, if people are not watching, they're just listening to it. I've got my hand to, to one side and the other hand to the other side. Right. And there's this big space in between. And that's the part that needs to be filled up. That's the part where you got to create the various content, the, the quality content. I call it the, uh, um, uh, the valuable content, step two of the process. Then you have to put the metadata on. If, if you don't have metadata, you can put your stuff up on disco. That's fine. People aren't going to find your music. You know? and, and it's not only just metadata, it's understanding the right metadata, just like anything. You, know? uh, you want to make sure that you've added the, the thoroughness and, the, and the, literally like the A-level A metadata so that 
your music is always showing up at the bottom of any search funnel. Um, if you think of it like this, a music supervisor, whether, whether they're going to disco, whether they're going to uh, source audio, or whether they're just using iTunes on their computer, you know, whatever platform they're using that has a lot of tracks on it, they're looking for music that fits a specific scene. So let's say that the scene is a bunch of people on the beach playing volleyball. I don't know, just making this one up, right? Um, so, so they need something, and what are they going to think of? They might think, okay, you know what? We're on the beach. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of water. There's sand. There's people having a good time. Uh, maybe this is taking place down in like Hawaii or something like that. Um, so you know, okay, let's start first with ukulele. We want a, something that's very Hawaiian and islandly. So maybe we do, you know, ukulele. But then we need to use other words like like beach and and surfing and um and and fun and it could be youthful you know see where i'm I'm going with this there's certain words like that that we're using so each time a a supervisor or an editor is going to type these words into that search feature you're going to go from 500,000 songs down to 100,000 songs down to 50,000 songs down to 25,000 songs down 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 you they're, they're ultimately going to stop putting in that metadata when they get to like, you know, 10 or 12 tracks that they can then listen to and choose from. Your goal is to get to that bottom 10 or 12. So just going, oh, I know what metadata is. I'll put ukulele and glockenspiel under the keywords for my track. Okay. So you've basically taken yourself from the 500,000 search down to the 250,000 search. But at that point, you're done. Because you haven't added more stuff, you haven't really gotten into the to the to the nuts and bolts of of the really descriptive terms that describe your song, and you also have to keep in mind that the people who are searching your music, they a lot of times they're not musicians, right? So uh, a director, he's not a musician. A producer, he's not a musician. A music editor, that's not a musician. Um, these are people who work in the in the TV and film world, so they're going to use different words than we what we might usually think of when it comes to um, you know what we would uh, refer to it. So, like for example, like a music editor might not know it's a ukulele. He might not know it's a glockenspiel that's that's in there. He might just type in the word island. You know, so using words like that and being thorough with your metadata is essential. And that's what bridges the gap from finishing your track, again, regardless of what platform you're using, to actually getting to the bottom of those searches uh, so that you are a contender for as many licenses or as many relevant opportunities as possible. So for people listening out there, I mean, I, I'm sure the wheels are spinning. There's got to be an enormous amount of metadata that goes into place for every single piece of music that you have in your, in your collection. Right. So, so that's a fantastic question. Thank you for asking that one. Uh, that's one that I don't get a lot. Um, here's the thing. I have a four-step process. My process is, it, it just comes down to how I work. You know, there are other people out there who talk about licensing and, and they're all great. I think everyone should go and, and learn from everyone, you know. Um, but the way that I naturally work, it's the way I've always been since I was a kid growing up playing guitar, is I put together systems that allowed me to really turn off the, uh, you know, one side of my brain, the, uh, the analytical side of my brain was at the left side, and, uh, and just stay creative. And, and this is the same thing, okay? Uh, by following an actual system, you, you get from point A to, to point B very easily. As far as the metadata process, that's part three in my system. It's a step-by-step process, right? You start at one, go to two. Once two is done, then you go into three. When we're in step three, which is the metadata, it, it is thorough, but it's not, it's not just guessing. However, here's the thing about metadata. My metadata process has 25 steps. That sounds like a lot. I can get through all 25 steps in about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, 
but nothing's left out. So it's extremely thorough. Of course, it's extremely thorough, but that's also the reason why I've had, you know, as many placements as I've had, it's a very thorough process, but, but there's no guesswork involved. And, uh, and, and so when it comes to the metadata, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but like I said, you know, I've got 25 different pieces, key pieces of, of metadata that I add to every single track that gets sent out. Mm, so good. Well, we could dive a lot deeper into this, but if people want to take the next step, again, go to mastermusiclicensing.com and check out the ebook. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, this is awesome. You ready to jump into the lightning round? Oh, yeah. Bring it on, man. This will be fun. All right. <laughs> What would be your dream sync placement? Oh, you know what? I just got it. I just got it two weeks ago. Um, Had to say what it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got, I got, I got a Star Wars placement uh, for Star Wars: The Mandalorian. Dude, that's um, huge. Yeah, and then I had like, so I got that. I actually posted that to like my private Facebook group. I was so excited. I've had the biggest placement that I think anyone can have is a Super Bowl. Um, so I had that a couple years ago with the Jack Ryan, um, series on, 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 um, Amazon. I had the trailer for that. Uh, so that was a Super Bowl ad. So that was cool. And, you know, and that was, that was exciting. But when I, when I got my thing the other day that I had the, the Star Wars Mandalorian, um, I just, I'm a Star Wars geek. And then I had, uh, I think 10 cues on a couple, um, uh, Star Wars trailers for, uh, uh, I think it's like an animated series called the Clone Wars uh, but just just being able to now have something in the Star Wars family, yeah, Star Wars, so happy. Bucket list. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is your favorite quote? Uh, the secret to getting ahead is getting started. I love it. Describe your perfect weather. Perfect weather. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I loved living in California. I, I loved being by the beach. So perfect weather would be low 80s. Uh, no humidity, just the regular humidity that, you know, of course, comes off, off the ocean. That's perfect weather to me. Mm. Who's an artist that you're enjoying listening to right now? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say it's an artist, but um, I, I, I'm just such a Muttling fanatic that in, uh, in both of my cars, I have a Muttling CD that's always on. Uh, so like in one car, I have uh, Brian Adams waking up the neighbors. I love that record. And in the other car, I have Shania Twain's Up album. So currently, I guess I'm in a Mutt Lang phase where that's all I'm listening to when I get in my car and drive. Good music to study if, if you want to become a master in production. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, lastly, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> Star Wars. Come on, man. <laughs> you already answered it. <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, once again, Michael, thanks so much for being on the show. Is there anything you'd want to leave people with before we sign off and we get to the deep dive? You know, that's a great question. Um, that, yeah, I do actually. Uh, I, you know, the, the thing that actually really saddens me a lot is I see so many great musicians. I mean, I've been, I've been, you know, I grew up, I grew up, playing music really i knew since i was five years old i was gonna have a career in music um and uh and so it's just fully enveloped every aspect of my life and so you know i've met a lot of people over the years and especially even moving back to nashville a lot of amazing musicians a lot of incredible songwriters and just artists who are amazing but they struggle and uh and it, it like kind of breaks my heart uh because 
they are so focused on one avenue to succeed in. You know, they have to get the publishing deal. They have to get that record deal, you know, whatever it is. And I understand that because I, you know, played in bands for a long time and I went after that for a long time myself. Um, but the, the thing that I would leave anyone uh, who's down, going down that road is uh, if you're able to take one step back and tonight when you're done listening to this podcast, this evening, sit on your couch, all right, or whatever, when you're watching TV and just listen don't even pay attention to what's going on. Just listen to all the music that you hear underneath anything you're watching. Even as you're flipping the channels, just listen to all the music. When it gets to a commercial, listen to all the music. You will find that when you're watching TV, it is nonstop music. Music is underscoring everything. And, uh, and you're also going to hear an incredible diverse amount of music. Everything from like bluegrass to country to rock to pop to EDM to orchestral to just simple piano ballads, you name it. You're going to hear the incredible amount of opportunity that there really is for your music. And the one thing to keep in mind is that the majority of that music is being created by people just like you and me who are working out of their home or out of their own studio. They're not signed to any big record deal. Uh, you know, they don't have a big, you know, corporation, you know, looking over their shoulders for everything that they do. They're just writing great music and they're, and they're uh, servicing that music to the end users uh, who work in that industry. That which would be your music supervisors, your music editors, your re-recording mixers. Ultimately you're serving the story that's being told by the directors and the producers. And when you hear that, you're going to see that there's a lot of opportunity for your music outside of just the record label pursuit or the publishing pursuit. Mm. I love it. So good, Michael. Well, for our deep dive, we are going to be diving into uh, a little bit of kind of where you came from, being, being a pro session guitarist. Oh. Um, so if people want to partake in the deep dives, then go to madeitinmusic.com. We're going to be deep diving here with Michael Elsner. Michael, thanks so much for being on the show today. Awesome. Thanks, Seth.